Coming up after the break, we discuss the story of John Lewis and his book, March Book One, the, the graphic novel. See you in a minute here on The Final Word. Welcome to The Final Word. I'm Jensen Baker, and to this week, today, we are talking about the very two very interesting topics. The first, the top panel on page 27 of Mark, March Book One, a graphic novel by John Lewis, Andrew Aiden, and Nate Powell. Joining me this week, we have our guests, who I'll let them introduce themselves. Vivi. Hi, I'm Lauren Wally Gonker. Uh, I'm Kate. And I am Jensen Baker, as you knew from before. Um, and so now, let's begin our discussion. One of the very interesting frames in the first part of March, book one, is a frame on the top of page 27, where it says, by the time I was five, I could read it myself, and this is referring to the Bible, and one phrase stuck with me strongly, though I couldn't comprehend its full meaning at the time. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So I preached to my chickens just about every night. Now this is quite an interesting panel because of the way it's set up, where the words from the Bible are placed inside the silhouette of five-year-old John Lewis, and that is what we're here to discuss um, first of all, what do you all think about the meaning itself of the phrase, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world? I think, it's... Um, I... oh, go ahead. Oh, um, I think that, like, the Lamb of God, meaning just, like, God, and he's taking away the sin of the world, so just, like, God making it a better place on earth and taking away all sins and i just think that that's like i mean it's nice and but like it's not really realistic because there will always be sin in everybody i mean you're human you have to have sin i think that it's a very confusing phrase because i think people who are really into it will understand what it means but for regular readers and the audience it's a very confusing phrase especially on how everyone does sin just like Kate said. And on top of that, I I do agree about how if you are good in God's eyes, you should be rewarded with less sin, but sometimes it depends on the sin. I mean, I definitely agree with both uh, Kate and Aaron and Jensen. This is a very hard phrase to interpret because there are multiple meanings depending on who you are as a person, or what your values are. Um, Everyone does sin. No one is perfect, and that is completely okay and understandable. Although there are some deeds that you can do that are far worse than others, and that um, depending on your deeds, you will be held to a higher or lower standard. Um, Well, I I just thought, go ahead. Oh, no, that's it. Uh, well, I, I was something I wanted to add was uh, that I think the Lamb of God, specifically the first bit, the Lamb seems to me like a Lamb is, of course, as you all know, a baby sheep, but it's sort of also the the, the symbol of the uh, sort of the children, the symbol of domesticity. So I would say that the Lamb is almost like the people who are good in the eyes of God, and behold, the Lamb of God are the people who 
do not sin very much, and they will take away the sins of the world, which taketh away the sins of the world. And although, as all of you already said, I want to avoid to be repetitive, but I must say it, there are plenty of sins in the world, but you can make the world a little bit of a better place by being good and not sinning very much yourself. So let's move on now to the actual contrast. If you look at the actual picture, there's a lot of action between the dark and the light, which is something that is very interesting to discuss. Uh, any, any thoughts on the light and the dark? Um, well, I do think that this, this picture could also represent not just one specific person, but all of humanity in general. And I just think that it can't have one singular meaning because many different phrases can be interpreted. And this photo, it has some very um, important words inside of the body. It, sa it says what we just talked about, and it shows a character who is reading on a dock. And I just think that it is nice that the writing is not just on the page. In a paragraph, it is inside a person, which means it relates to people and what they do. And I wanted to say that um, as w if you look at the way he's only five years old, as I said before when I read it, mm -hmm. he's only five years old, but you can see the way it's a dark silhouette on a dark dock with sort of a dark ground and dark water. But right inside, inside of the figure, you see little bits of light. They're sort of in paintbrush strokes, and that and they spell out the words of the Bible. And this, for, to me, really signifies that he's been given hope. The contrast between the light and the dark, the dark being the unfortunate misfortune of his circumstances, um, because he's a, he's a black kid growing up in the South, having to deal with Jim Crow laws and segregation and all of that stuff. But it seems like the Bible holds, ho holds hope for him. Yeah, Jensen, um, I'd like to add on that. I agree with you a lot because I agree about how the words do give him a hope so that way he thinks he has a better future. And that's why he grew up doing extraordinary things and he was a great person. And because of that, he was rewarded and he, and he helped a lot for the whole entire United States. Very well said. Thank you. Kate, do you want to add to that or anybody else? Uh, not really. I think you guys kind of said it all. I really like how the author also had put it inside of him and made and did the contrast with the black and white and with the words and looking like it's scratched. I thought it was a really unique design and it was very, very meaningful. Mm -hmm. I actually have one more thing. Um, I think that everyone makes mistakes in it. Say you are a very good person and you do a lot of good deeds, but you uh, perform a very bad deed. Um, I think, like in the Bible, like even Jesus made mistakes, mm -hmm. um, and like he wasn't perfect. And um, there's this part where he like where he like made a mistake and he prays, and um, God's like, well, all humans make mistakes, so. Mm -hmm. And if you make a mistake, you shouldn't just let that mistake affect your life. You could do good. And I think what it's saying also is if you make a mistake and then you do a lot of good, I think you won't be punished 
um, as severely as if you did nothing and also that mistake. Right. Well, let's move it along then. Uh, the next part of our conversation that we want to touch on today is John Lewis's relationship with his uncle. Now, Uncle Otis, as he is called in the text, is a man who lives about 60 miles north in Alabama. He's a school principal, and he seems to take interest on John Lewis from a very young age because of the way he behaves and because of his hard work during schoolwork. And Lewis, I think, stood out in many ways, but especially in these categories because of his devotion into what he loves or does, especially whether it's his schoolwork or if, if it's him preaching to the chickens or him in his protest that the chickens are being killed and all that stuff. And is, um, so there's plenty to touch on on this. Yeah, he, he has that goal and he's driven to do whatever he needs to get that goal done. He's very, very enthusiastic. And this has helped him a lot in life, as you can tell over the past 50 years. Right. Um, and so we must discuss now, why is Uncle Otis a significant part of John Lewis's life? And how do you think he may have shaped um, John Lewis's experiences into a, civil, into a civil rights activist? How do you think Uncle Otis could have done such a thing? Oh, may I go? Yes. All right. Well, personally, I think that Uncle Otis, as it says in the text, helped him a lot because he really shaped who John John Lewis was as a person. And he used John Lewis's strengths and applied it to different things. For example, if if John Lewis, without Uncle Otis, John Lewis might have never had the idea to become um, an activist and help a lot. But thanks to Uncle o- Otis, he, he helped the United States, like I said before, a lot more than a lot of other people have. And also, um, Uncle Otis just, I don't know, he just made a huge impact because he taught John Lewis that how he was living was not right. Right. And, um, and he gave him a glimpse of the city that was living correctly, where black people could live right next to mm-hmm. white people. Yeah. And there isn't segregation. Yeah. Yeah. He, he just, like, kind of made John Lewis realize, like, oh, wait, like, we should be equal. We shouldn't have to have separate, I don't know, drinking fountains. It shouldn't be separate but equal. It should just be equal. Uncle Otis, oh, sorry, I was going to say, sorry, it'll be good. I think, I really think that Uncle Otis provided him a lot of hope. I definitely agree. I think that Uncle Otis was a very bright light into showing um, John Lewis the ways of life and the way life should be, the fairness that everyone should get. Um, Bringing this back a little bit to the Constitution, how the founding father said that all men are created equal, but that is not in the Bill of Rights. I think it was the Bill of Rights. It could have solved a lot of problems, but then Mama wouldn't have the same. He wouldn't have done as many great things in his life, and I don't even know what would happen to him if it was not in the Bill of Rights. So. Exactly. So I think that's all the time we have. Let's wrap it up. Uh, that was a wonderful conversation. I'd like to say thank you to our guests, who are? Vivi. Lauren. Kate. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and make sure to tune in next week. This is The Final Word. I'm Jensen Baker, your host. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.
thank you so much for listening to The Final Word, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.